your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Thursday, February 23rd. If you have listened to our latest editions of this mini break podcast, you have heard me allude to the fact that I have been saving my thoughts on the South American ATP clay court swing for a very special guest who joins me on today's show to break down all of the I'm not special unfolded <laughs> over the course of the past month. Of course, you hear his voice already as he is, in my opinion, the foremost scholar on all things that happened during this South American ATP clay court swing. A man you know best as a contributor here at Cracked Rackets and for oh so many other platforms as well. It's our dearest friend, David Gertler. David, welcome back to the show. How are you doing today? I am doing pretty good. I will say that Michigan basketball is a big game tonight uh, if we want to make the tournament. So that's going to be a little stressful. Um, But I've just been, you know, it finally feels like somewhat the quality of the golden swing is, uh, (laughs) is, you know, starting to rise. Cordoba was an absolute (laughs) show. Um, But uh, sorry for my language. Um, No, it's fine. But, uh, you know, and there's been, it's been hit or miss since then, which I guess is a, Step up from Cordoba. No, a couple of things there. First of all, I've been out of the loop on Michigan basketball. We're like 15 and 12, right? Who do we play? Uh, So we play tonight. We play Rutgers. We beat MSU over the weekend. I texted you. I was at Charlie's, which, you know, Michigan fans know. And I... um, A bar in Ann Arbor for our listeners that don't. Yes. And I saw Eli Brooks and Franz Wagner... (laughs) Franz Wagner was the one who um, is on the magic currently. And I'm mixed feelings on them when I saw them, because to be honest, I'm still so disgusted with how they played against UCLA in the tournament, in that tournament game. Remember at the ending, how they both kind of screwed us, but I can't hold too much of a grudge because they did a lot of good things. But um, yes, Michigan basketball beat MSU on Saturday night. And now we basically got to run the table for the rest of the regular season. Well, let me be clear. Michigan is now a tennis school. Our men's and women's programs are currently ranked number three in the NCAA rankings, our ITA rankings. So that first and foremost is the fact that needs to remain clear to our listeners. But let me say this. I think the greatest myth that's been dispelled or at least the greatest fact that's come back to fruition over the past few years, there are two types of schools, David. Football schools and posers. And Michigan is a football school again. Thank (laughs) God. Wow, that's bold. Okay. I mean, we all, okay, if you make the playoffs in back to back seasons, you're a football school, David. I guess, but we didn't win. We didn't win one. You're Um, right, but we have won back to back conference titles. I mean, do you feel positive about the state of Michigan football? 10,000 foot view. Compared to when? Ever in your life as a Michigan fan? As a Michigan fan, I, I felt a lot more positive before the TCU game. I mean, that of was course, you find the spin here. And this is why you're the best, David, because <laughs> only you on Twitter, by the way, right now, everyone's watching Rotterdam, Abu Dhabi, Dubai, Doha. No, David. I've been Gertler. watching some Dubai in a little. I saw Cami Georgie last night in Merida, which I forget is on half the time. Yeah, um, I know. It's actually hilarious. I'm so glad that you mentioned that because you know who's been great this week? Katie freaking McNally. I like Katie McNally. Katie McNally is doing what Alicia Parks is doing, but with way less press. I mean, not quite to that scale, but it's like you want to talk about two players who have been. We want to talk. Do you want to talk to Alicia Parks right now? Because I mean, if you have a thought, David, you know I'm always happy to hear whatever you're. You really? I mean, okay. Contreras Gomez the other night. I saw some of the match. Parks was it was outside, outdoor hard. Parks was nothing special. It took a very tight three-set win. Yes, but she won. And how few outdoor hardcore matches has she played at the tour level in her career? Such few. And so, like, and I agree. Way- I'm not all the way in on the Alicia Parks bandwagon yet. I'm certainly buying some stock. I've extended an invitation to her via Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club. She can't. Yeah. She's not a full member, but, like, you know, if she wants to come hang out every other Saturday, we're willing to have her. Um, but like, I'm fascinated for her this week, and I forget who she plays next. She is, but I know she is down a set in a break right now to Rebecca Peterson. That's what it is. That's a tough matchup. Like again, that's what I want to see. But from the way people on Twitter were talking for her, you would think she would. Okay, talk, she, you would think she would blitz the draw. And I, I don't. Just, think, I don't think that's fair. I think people. Well, people are very excited, David. I mean, again, she has been off to electric start. You're telling me any of that praise isn't deserved? 
I think it's indoors. It's a, it's very interesting where her success comes. It's all on indoors and indoors is the I least. I think that's interesting. I, that's very intuitive. In, wait, let me ask the wrong you word. Okay. Wait, hold on. Let me ask you this. Is yeah. indoor tennis not the least important part of the tennis calendar? As a man born in Michigan, you bite your <laughs> tongue. Um, I mean, yes and no. Like, yes. We joke about it all the time. We talk about our February, October players, right? It's like, oh, you get it done then when yeah. it's not the big month on the calendar. But, like, you're telling me, okay, indoor hardcourt was the question, not February tennis, though, from you. Yes, I agree with your premise. That's fair. I will also say, though, success breeds success. And that's why it's fascinating to see the confidence she built in her weapons translate from the 125K directly to – her run to the title, I forget, Linz or one of those cities. It was Yeah, I knew it was one of the L's, David. Um, but yeah, like, again, I need to see more of it. She's, that said, she curr- no, she's currently ahead. winning 39% of her second serves and has been broken three times and midway through the second serve. Yeah, it's a slow outdoor hardcore in Mexico. And, like, welcome to a new ball game. Yeah. And guess what? Uh, you're not going to have Contreras Gomez's uh, one-handed backhands to pick on with your serve every match at this level. Just saying. But I, I don't even know how we started talking well, about no, that. Well, no, I'm glad we've gotten on. I'm glad we've gotten onto Mexico because obviously, again, Mexico not too dissimilar from a hard about the closest hardcore surface you can get to the South American clay court swing. So I suppose that was a little warm up, a little tease for what we want to get into today. And again, we're focusing on the South American clay court swing. I have questions for David Gertler. What's relevant? What isn't? That's what we're going to be discussing here on today's show. Of course, a shout out as always to our friends at tennis point, tennis point.com promo code is CR 15. David, what record are you using nowadays? I am using a, it's um oh god it's a babylon um it's like I think it's like the it's not the Nadal racket but it's like the poser Nadal racket I like okay. control and I like to like I'm like more of a like moon balls drop shots long long rallies physical so that's kind of I'd rather that than power fair I'll tell you this I recently demoed the Yonix. Is that the correct pronunciation? People say Yonix, but just so you know, it is Yonix. Just fun fact for everyone, not that anyone says it. Um, this is my quest to get that changed. Um, because, anyways. Yo. I, I did, I, yeah, exactly. I had to go get my rackets restrung, so I used the demo in the meantime. Uh-huh. And, you know, I said this analogy to Nate Walrath, so our listeners have heard it before, but you actually went to Michigan. So, you know how some days at the dining halls, you'd go, and some days you could just tell – Dining staff's not locked into the cookies. So they're throwing those bad boys in there for, you know, 15 minutes. And they're crispy and they're rock hard and it's just not a good day at the cookie office. Let me finish the analogy because I know you have thoughts. Some days you get there. And again, dining hall staff, they're not locked in. Rather than 15 minutes, they put those bad boys in for three minutes. And it's just Uh like it is a glob of dough. There is no... There's no uh, no shape, no no outer structure. That's the word. No structure to the cookie. It's just a mess to eat. But mm-hmm. then you get those days where the dining hall staff is locked in, and they give but you what? that cookie, particularly on North Campus, that's in okay. there for like five and a half minutes, where it holds its structural integrity, but the inside is just straight gooey deliciousness. That's a Yonix racket. Where it has the structural integrity and you feel like you can get outside the ball and you feel like you can control the ball. But it's also a little Babolat free swingy. And I'm just saying, if you haven't tried the Yonix, go check it out at Tennis Point because seriously, David, I'm all in. Okay. I have a lot of thoughts, both okay. cookie and non-cookie related. The first thing <laughs> is my is, friend. Is that a good racket analogy, by the way? Does that work? Well, maybe for you, <laughs> not for me. Uh, and that's not that, and that, you know, it's no, all, carry on, yeah. carry on. But, um, okay, first off, Mojo cookies, which are supposedly the Mojo meaning Mosher Jordan. Yeah, Hall, I, I, you're explaining um, this to the listeners. You yeah. don't have to explain the dorm names, Mojo dorm, okay. carry on. Yeah. Um, my friend found wax in one of their cookies. Um, well, don't so, say that, but carry true. on. I, I saw the wax. I, I believe you. And, this By is the why way, you go to North the dining, Campus. The dining hall staff never seemed to lock in. I, I got like a burger every day, and it was almost always burned. Um, 
I'm not, I'm just being honest. And then the sushi station only came out when parents were around. Um, <laughs> with that said, the reason I don't, I'm one of those superstitious people where I, I have literally had the same brand, the same racket, just new versions of it okay. every time. So for me, I can never see myself leaving a Babylon in, in the Babylon, the version of Babylon, you know, the kind of version track of Babylon that I have. But I do see what you're saying. And I'm sure Yone, Yone makes okay. excellent rackets. Yeah. I mean, again, to each their own. A racket is, it's like in Harry Potter, it's a wand. The uh, racket chooses the wizard, not the other way around. Um, anyways. All that said, tennis-point.com, promo code is CR15. We're off to a hot start here, David. Maybe we will need till 6 o'clock, so uh, warn me if we get too close. Um, But all right, enough foreplay. Let's get into the meat and potatoes. Let's talk about this South American ATP clay court swing. Let's start with the biggest question, and I know you weren't locked in to the ending of Buenos Aires, but of course, the biggest storyline coming out of the clay court swing, something I've yet to address. I want to talk to you about it. The return of Carlos Alcaraz. It that, has to be. Okay, yes, it has it to be. I because, guess it is. I can't because, argue that. No, because if Carlos Alcaraz is at his best, every tournament he's in, he's one of the four players who always will matter to some extent. Like, he just yep. will. And so, for Carlos Alcaraz, in his return, goes to Buenos Aires, uh, excuse me, to, yes, Buenos Aires, Drops a set in his first match to Lajlo Jura, a guy who obviously top 50 guy when it comes to clay court tennis. Gets progressively better in every match he plays. 4-2 and two over the Deuce, Dusan Lajevic. 2-2 two and two over Zapata Morales. Then what I thought was a but, really impressive 3-5 win over Cam Nori. Yeah, I, defer, I defer to you. Again, this is where I just want to ask all of those wins just to set context for our listeners. Yeah. What did you think of his level? I thought that the level against Jerry was a little Jerry was a little yeah. rusty. Did I get agreed. it right? Um, agreed. I thought that he. We was just go good. with Laszlo, but yes, Laszlo, agreed. who is an excellent clay court player, by the way. I think he, he's the litmus test of like, do you think you're top fifty on clay? You better be able to beat him because if you're not, yeah. you're not top fifty. And FAA learned that very well in Rio yep. a few years sure. ago. Um, well said. When when uh, Laszlo won the title, yeah. he has a big forehand. He is gets that consistent depth that I'm always talking yeah. about. Um, and I, he's a well, very, he has his forehand. Player. Okay. Because you're one of three people in the world. I can ask this. To. Oh, I'm so excited. You're here, David. So I can ask you this. All right. You know, Leandro Rady. Of course. The- Don't you think his forehand looks exactly like Laszlo's? Oh man. Like the way they, the drastic take back, can- how they have to exaggerate, get under it. And like, I just I, I watched because I called the Rady's first two sets today against Hercots, and I was like, okay. "Dude, you are Laszlo Jura. Like you're the same, but a little more athletic." I think I think Rady gets a little more pop on his grand. Yeah, that's what I meant. A little more pop. I agree. Um, but um, I can see it. I can see yes. it. Yeah. Okay, this is what I wanted um, to ask. Anyways, carry on. I didn't mean to interrupt you, Alcaraz. Um, so that was a tough opener, is what I'm. I guess what I'm trying to say is, so I don't necessarily hold it much against him. Yes, he dropped the second set, and it was a, he dropped the second set, but he also had plenty of opportunities to win that set. Um, he was not very clutch, which was one of the rusty things that I noticed. Sure. He was bailing out of uh, rallies a little um, earlier than he typically would, trying to go for those big forehand yes. winners, that type of thing, and he definitely improved. You know, Nori. Besides last night against Montero, I don't know what happened. That was a show of epic proportions. Um, I'm See, sorry I think that. the crowd played into that. That was like Cam Norrie had to play his first away match since college. And yeah. it was delightful because, again, it was a crowd that was already amped up. I'm blanking on the name, but who the guy who played his last match there retired. Uh, Bellucci. Bellucci, yes, thank you. You know, it was already a partisan home crowd, and they were rocking, rocking for Montero last night. But so I want to interject. You talked about the movement aspect. I actually do think that's where we want to start because I think from an actual swinging of the tennis ball perspective outside of the first match, Carlos got progressively better at that. Like like, the shot making was all there. I agree. Movement-wise, he was at 80%. And then yeah. I actually thought he creeped his way up 
to about 90. No, maybe 88 against Nori. But I did think the best match he played physically was the last one. And I think that's the thing to watch this week is it's just like, okay, can it continue to progressively get better? Because I agree with you. I thought he was maybe even a full step slow, which, by the way, Carlos Alcaraz a full step slow is different than a normal human. Oh, yeah. He still is ridiculous. But you could tell the changing direction was a little difficult. But at the end of the day, in terms of like, if we look at the big picture, mm-hmm. Roland Garros, um, does beating uh, well, hold Alvarez, on. Big picture is Indian Wells in Miami because he has semifinals and yeah. title points to defend. Well, I'm saying in terms of like looking forward to the clay, sure. you know, to the okay. clay that matters more. Yeah. Um, Way to keep me on track. Well said. But no, I do no, no, think no, his, no, his no. broader level matters because, again, this here's the thing. In reality, what's better preparation for Indian Wells? Indoor hard courts of Rotterdam or South American clay? The oh, answer is unequivocally South American clay. Yeah. And so that's why I think that framing of the sunshine swings coming up, it's important to mention. Okay. I agree. I agree. Yeah. We're, we're agreeing here. Good. Uh, Good. Uh, but I, what I was going to say is that for me, you know, it was about the morality one today over Saran, a totally disinterested Francisco, Saran, disinterested Francisco Sarandolo. Horrible effort on Sarandolo's part, but that's an aside. He's having a pretty good golden swing, but does Alcaraz beating him or Lajevic or uh, Mateus Alves, or now he's up 3-0 on Fagnini, is that, are any of those matches really that important? They're helping him get, or in terms of the big picture, I do think that they're helping him get match rhythm, confidence back, the match rhythm, the, you know, give him that time to refine that extra 20% on his speed or get and give him that time to find the range a little more in his ground strokes. But I'm, you know, he could beat BZM Zapata Morales with his eyes closed. Um, so yeah, it's kind of, it, it matters, but ultimately it doesn't matter that much. I want to say, you know, if he can win this week, you know, where the, if he can win again this week, then maybe it matters more. But ultimately, when we talk about the golden swing, I love the golden swing. But given that a lot of the players are going straight to hard courts afterwards and then back to the clay in Europe where maybe the conditions are a little more similar to what they'll be seeing in Paris, does it ultimately matter to the greater context of clay court tennis? Maybe. So only other two things I would add on Alcaraz, and then we can move on to some other players. What I loved about Alcaraz is that, again, he did get progressively better in all of his matches last week. He was broken once against Nori. That break came when he was serving for the match at 5-4, which, by the way, when you haven't played in four months, that's going to be the most difficult moment. And what I love so much about that is what did he do? Immediately bounces back, immediately gets the break, immediately serves it out. That's what a top player in the world does. And Carlos yeah. Alcaraz still had that gear to him to close out the title in his first event back. There is no more lethal combination on clay right now. I'm sorry, Rafa. I have to say it. Then Alcaraz lined up hitting the kick serve out wide on the ad and having a first forehand on that ad side. Because he can go inside in, inside Except, out, drop shot. Like you just don't know what he's going to do. Unless Djokovic is on the other side of the net, yes. Well, even then, it's just still can be effective. Like, I agree. I'm saying those guys can be as effective, yeah. but no, nothing is more effective than yeah. that combination. And it's just like, can you imagine dealing with his bazooka of a forehand, which is just like, even on Cam Nori, and credit to Nori, who like, he played well. He was going after his forehand early in the match. And we're going to get to Nori in a second more extensively, but like, then the ball got shoulder height on him. And just like, as the clock hit 45 minutes, 50 minutes, an hour 15, you could just see it wore even Cam Iron Lung Nori down. And it's just yeah. like, God, it was nice. Two out of three, too. Yeah, it had been four months and we'd seen Carlito. It was nice to have him back in our lives. So I agree. I think he passes with flying colors uh, week number one. And again, it's relevant to see him back in form. I talked about – oh, go ahead. Final Gary, thoughts. Gary, my – Laszlo might have been the best player he played all week. and he's. And I don't know. First. Well, so it's interesting to hear you say that. On clay. Well, so this is what I want to talk about. Cam Nori. Interesting mm-hmm. decision from Nori to yeah. make that choice. I'm going to go play the clay court events. I'm going to skip Rotterdam. I'm going to skip 
Doha. I'm going to go. He was in Rotterdam you know, last year, right? Yeah, I believe so. And it's just like a surface we know he can have success in. No, yeah. I want to, you know, you look for Cam Norrie in his career, tour level matches played on clay. Cam Norrie entering the season 42 and 24. So 64% win percentage is pretty good. You know, it's better than his oh, hardcore definitely. percentage, which is 108 and 76. But of course, there are just so many early career hardcore matches for him. But, you know, you look for Norrie last season on the clay, went 11 and 5 overall, finals of Lyon, but third round exit to Hatchinov, Roland Garros, second round loss to Chilich, Rome. He lost to Alcaraz in three in Madrid, lost to Demon in three in Barcelona. You know, you look for him the year before that, 14 and five, but not a ton of success at the biggest events. He does make finals in Estoril in Lyon. Good, not great. Like he's, he is a very good clay court player, but I think for him, it's, I want to be upper echelon. And I'm curious I love this choice by he and his coach, Facundo Lagunas, who, of course, they get to go celebrate a TCU national indoor victory last weekend as well. Um, but, like, what do you make of this decision, David Gertler? I've talked to Avery Zimmerman, who is um, with the Action Network about Nori on Clay extensively. Um, and he's kind of helped me more so see the light in terms of the fact that he's just freaking solid uh, in, in terms of – his like with the again with the exception of the crowd getting in his head last night he doesn't give much away at all whether it be him just you know taking Echeverry's best punch in uh Buenos Aires and just smoking him for the after the first set or what you know he just he has a way of you said iron lungs just wearing you down with that tricky heavy forehand that is well-placed that often looks like it's flying five feet long, but somehow just lands inside the baseline or close to the sidelines and that flat backhand that is actually holding up very well on clay. Um, he is, he can translate his game to basically any surface in this golden swing. I should have realized it before more so, um, but this golden swing is reinforcing that. Um, yeah. Again, the level of competition isn't what he's going to see in Europe, though. For the most part, you know, obviously Alcaraz um, is an exception to that. Yeah, I, I, it's hard to disagree with anything you point out there. And, you know, again, as I watch Cam Nori compete, I just love how well he moves the ball around the court. Like his ability to shape yeah. points, open up angles, it fits on a clay court. That's why he's been able to make multiple finals in his career. And, you know, again – Multiple third rounds now, past two years, losses to Seeds and Nadal, Hatchinov at the French. But he the, wants to be a second-week guy. And, like, I don't think he's worried about the Indian Wells surface. And maybe he even thinks this is better preparation for Indian Wells, an event he's obviously won in the past than playing those indoor hard courts. Again, I thought his level was good against Alcaraz. I thought he played aggressive. I thought he had a good yeah. game plan. I thought Alcaraz raised his level, not that Nori's dipped. I'm uh, in. I'm in on Cam Norrie's decision. I think, you know, again, I'm always in doubt, is Cam Norrie actually a top 10 player? And, you know, analytically, it's actually funny. He's a top 10 returner, but that hold percentage just floats between like 24th and 32nd on the ATP Tour. I Like, again, that he's this good and he doesn't have a definitive weapon other than his fitness, his speed, his discipline, and those are all weapons, but he doesn't have an outward weapon of a ground stroke or a serve, like... This guy is the – he's the top 15 litmus test. Like, you want to consider yourself a tier two guy, you're going to have to go through Cam Nori. Yeah. I think that, you know, you talk about him wanting to be a second-week player. What separates him on clay from uh, Alcaraz or, you know, even like you mentioned Karen Kachanov last year is just the ability to just play more offense um, and to just rip through opponents. I don't see that on clay for Cam – like, you know, even Kachanov can do it with his, you know, with his big serve and just lining up and cranking forehands. Um, Alcaraz can obviously do it. Um, sure. And I just think that that's just not a, that's never going to be a part of, you know, Norris clay court game, I don't think. And that's probably why his, you know, his ceiling, he's going to have a ceiling, you know, a limit um, that a guy like Alcaraz doesn't have on clay. Um, but um, yeah, so, so. Mm-hmm. I I agree with. You. I don't know where exactly I was going there, but I no. agree with you. 
Um, yeah. Uh, no, I think we can leave that there then. Because, again, it was just, again, big picture for Cam Norrie. It was a choice for him to go down and play these oh, clay yeah. court events. And I think the choice has played out finals last week. Obviously, it gets an early win escapes here in Rio this week. All right. Those are the more recent results. Let's look a little bit big picture as well. Take that 10,000-foot view coming out of the clay court swing. One guy who needed this run, needed this portion of the calendar the way fire needs oxygen, Uh Sebastian Baez, who comes into this clay court season having struggled so mightily over the course of his final six months and of the 2022 season. And, you know, you look uh, for Baez during there, there was a stretch of time where he lost two, four, six, eight, 10, 11 consecutive matches. He also had a stretch where he lost 16 of 17. He lost 16 of 17, David, coming into this South American clay court stretch. Starts it out with a title in Cordoba, wins over Dodari, Barrios Vera, Delian, Correa. Not the toughest run. It's, but a guess challenger. What? it's a challenger draw. Yeah, but guess what? Wins are wins, and he gets them okay. when he needs them most. Next week, he loses three set to Dusan Lajevic, but opens up this week in Rio with a 3-2 and two win over Bellucci. Again, I throw away the okay. Lajevic loss because I think that's a schedule loss. Four clay court matches. No, I did you. Okay, I here's I watched the match. Let okay. me tell you why it's not. He was in total command. He choked it horrendously. Okay, um, carry on. So let me get up what this. It was a, about as bad of three, a three six seven six six three Lajevic. Okay, so let me. Um, I'm going to pull up the point by point though because I want okay. to make sure that I. He was up a break um, in the second set twice. He served for the match. Um, he was two points away at when he was three five up in the second set. He was up four one double mini break in the. And he was up 4-1 with a double mini break in the tiebreak at home with the crowd totally behind him. Okay. And what was it? What was it? Did the serve abandon him? You know, what is it that makes he started you spraying? Doubts? He started spraying errors all over the place. Um, okay. He, you know, Lajevic has been excellent, you know, for his standards, excellent during the uh, clay court swing. He's moving the ball around the backhand beautifully. The backhand's holding up. He's hitting that running forehand, you know, very well. Um, he's his variety and his placement around the court is excellent. But at the end of the day, Baez was maybe a little too juiced up or during those big moments. And he kind of hit himself out of the match. And then in the third set, I think fatigue started to set in, um, but he had his chances in two, you know, to win in straights. And I, and so because he was so close to winning in straights, I don't like to call it a schedule loss. Does well, that? Yes, I accept. I acknowledge that. I think that's very fair assessment. I will say that he went away in the third is not the most shocking thing, I guess I would say to me. But, but at home with yeah. all the crowd was totally behind him, willing him on. Yeah, I mean, look, it's tough to say. And, you know, again, why I bring this his run up and him up in particular is I do think last year, certainly you look for Sebi Baez throughout the course of the 2022 season on clays. He went 27 and 12 overall, obviously played a fantastic match against Zverev in the second round. He won a title in Estoril, made a final in Bostad, made a final in Santiago, looked like a top 15 player on clay courts throughout the course of last season. And again, that's relevant to the upcoming months on the ATP Tour. And this is a guy, again, given he lost 16 of 17 matches heading into this clay court swing. He needs confidence. Uh, obviously, he's got a ton of points to defend on this surface here this season. Will we see that same Sebi Baez? You know, I think the answer is yes. I don't know what – it's just his forehand, David, is a when it, rocket. When it's on. Clay. But it's been back on here on this clay court. Like, again, I watched him in Cordoba. I thought it looked very good. Against, you know, mediocre. I mean, not saying mediocre, you know, relatively mediocre competition. You're telling me Corey is not a top 50 guy on clay? He was, but he was injured. Okay. He looked injured. Um, He injured himself in, I think it was the second set of um, his semifinal. He just got over the line against Ramos. um, And so I don't think he was 100% for that match. Um, I mean, this is a little bit of speculation, but... That's what I think. I think for someone, I, th- I do think it does wonders for his confidence. Um, 
But as we're seeing with Diego Schwartzman right now, um, when you're five seven, when you're that short, you have to, you know, there's no margin for error. There's no, there's just no margin for error. You have to be a hundred percent, you know, physically, mentally all the time. And so for him, I think it's going to struggle. He's going to struggle. And, you know, he's what, what is, I'm, I'm curious what his splits on, um, on hard courts are for last for Sebi Bias. He went six and 18 on hard courts. And yeah, it wasn't great. So if you're relying so much on clay and you have to be at the top of your game, I just think there's a lower ceiling for him. Yeah, I mean, the most amazing thing, just analytically, his hold percentage. He's the one guy whose hold percentage gets better on clay courts. He gets 7% better. It goes from 69.1 to 76.5, which would still be below the tour average, which is right around 80% when on clay courts. But it's much better than where he's typically at. And then, again, when he goes from the quicker hard courts to the fast, uh, the slower clay courts where he can afford to stand 12 feet behind the baseline, just take a clean rip of the ball, he goes from... Out, you know, one of the bottom 10 returners amongst the top 50 to maybe the best returner in the top 50. That break percentage going from 18.6 to 32.7. The whole thing is time. He has time to hit his forehand when he's on this surface. And he's quick enough, creative enough. The backhand drop shot is that much more effective on this surface, I think, as well. I still think he's a top 20 guy on clay. That's what I saw from him in week one is how easily he, you know, again, I thought he progressed through it pretty easily. Now, again, this week in Rio, you look for bias. He's the sixth seed, but the only seed left in the top half of the draw is Carlos Alcaraz. And look, he's facing Juan Pablo Vrias. Shout out to my birthday brother into the top 100 solidly for the first time in his career. You know, Juan Pablo Vrias and I were born on the exact same day, David. I, yes, I know as that. Always. <laughs> Mention it whenever possible. Put that on Gruskin Bingo. But like, Look, there's a lot of good guys in this set, top set. Bias is up a set, by the way. On Juan Pablo Varias. Yeah. Like, again, he, he plays the winner if he wins of Martinez and Nicolas Iari, then Alcaraz in the something? semis. Well, let me just finish. Wait, wait hold I, on. Can I get no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, go ahead. He's not beating Yari. Yari's at a level right now. Yari's playing. So we're going to get to him. I promise. Okay. Okay. Uh, because I just want to say that. Don't no. look forward to Alcaraz because he's not beating Yari. Juan Pablo Vrias and I are birthday brothers. Yare's a birthday month brother. He's October 95 as well, just a little bit later. We, but sh- is that a good thing, though? I mean, he did – wasn't he doping at one point? Yeah, but, like, whatever. We Forgiveness, David. That's what we believe in here on this podcast. Um, <laughs> I think Baez needs to get to the semis. He gets to the semis, loses to Alcaraz, plays a competitive match there. He is the top 20 guy I thought he was. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forgive last week if he makes the semifinals this week. If he can beat Yari in this form, I'll be very impressed. Well, all right. You bring up Nicolas Yari. Let's start there. Give me some other, I'll say, non-marquee players. Because Nicolas Yari is marquee to us, former top 50 guy, obviously, before he gets suspended. Um, You see his serve. You see his forehand. They're mesmerizing. Like, the weapons are abundantly clear. It's a kind of limited game. You know, it's one speed, but that speed is non-negotiable weapons and I mean, look, Nicolas Yari had a strong ending to last season. He, you know, ultimately, what was it, quarterfinals in in Stad, and, you know, again, was qualifying for events like Naples and Seoul and gets into the U.S. Open. He's clearly rounding back into top 100 form. You know, where do you see – I mean, is he the, the first guy – by the way, yeah, Yari, uh, Yari, October 11th, 95, five days younger than me. Still, He's still birthday brother. Um, what do you think? I think that Yari, so Yari before the ban was pretty damn good from the baseline. I remember, I said this uh, recently, I remember, you know, him and Alexander Zverev in Geneva going at it one year. Um, He was a strong baseline player. I mean, not strong, relative to serve bots, he was a strong baseline player. And when he came back from the ban initially, he was a disaster. From the baseline, he was basically only relying on his serve and then just going huge on, especially his forehand, make her miss, you know, points were ending three, five shots. That was that he didn't, you know, he was just even if he went down left 30, he was just planning on hitting four big serves and winning four points. Yeah, but he can do that. Yeah. yeah. But now, you know. You know, we saw he qualified for the Australian Open. He made the second round. He beat Kecmanovic 
and he lost a tight straight set match to Ben Sheldon, where Ben Sheldon played very well. I saw that match. Um, we've seen this week qualified for uh, Rio beating one one Manuel Sarandolo, and then sure. in the first round, uh, totally annihilated Lorenzo Musetti uh, six two six four six one. He's about to win six two six two over Martinez now to get to that match against likely Baez. Um, Yari's baseline play has been outstanding um, for him in the past, this past, this no, entire. There is a little bit better rally tolerance. You're absolutely right. He's, yeah, he's, he's playing with that. Um, another one of my buzzwords, controlled aggression sure. versus just aggression, um, which he, wild aggression versus controlled aggression. He's moving into the controlled ex- aggression camp. And it's nice to see him do that both on hard courts in Australia and now on clay courts in um, South America. I, last week, he lost in the first round to, of uh, qualities to Melogeni Alves. So it's not like he's been perfect, um, but it's a marked, noticeable improvement. Um, and it's good, you know, you know, if you don't have, for him, if he, you know, he still has the huge serve, but if he doesn't have to like a 80% rely on it, then. Mm-hmm. He can, you know, it's more relaxing, I think, for him. Um, and, you know, he's beaten Ugo Carabelli. Like, and then, like I said, Sarandolo and now Muset, Musetti and Martinez. And those are some solid clay court players. Now, I know Ugo Carabelli, Avery Zimmerman also um, has talked me into lower rating Ugo Carabelli. He's not as good as um, maybe I like to think of him as. Sure. Uh, he is one of your darlings. Yes. Unfortunately, he got completely exposed against Lajevic in Buenos Aires and looked like a weaponless pusher, to be honest. Um, but I still uh, I still love his forehand um, and I love his grinding. But th- what I'm trying to say is that it's not like he's beating, you know, these, you know, fast court players that, you know, hate the clay and don't want anything to do with it. He's beating some pretty quality Musetti, very much quality clay court guys, and he's doing so comfortably. Um, he's won his first, uh, provided he finished off Martinez, he's won his first eight sets in Rio, and he's a real threat to Alcaraz if they meet. Yeah. To at least win a set. I mean, he just has non-negotiable weapons, right? He can hit you off the court, and... Yeah. You know, he's 42 and 23 now over his last 52 weeks. That's a two-thirds win percentage. Two-thirds rule. You're moving up the rankings. He's made seven different quarterfinals. Interestingly enough, you think of his weapons, all of his quarterfinals comes on come on clay. He needs a little bit more time to get into that forehand backswing. But I agree with you. I think he's moving well. I think he's playing well. Obviously, he's taking on a guy in Pedro Martinez who's just going to work you physically. And I do think his servant to that Martinez backhand, structural advantage, Yari, it's going to be a fun match. I think Yari's a good guy to point to. Where are you with the Surundalos, period? Because obviously we've talked a lot about them over the years. I know Juan Manuel again, oh, another one of your guys. You know I love JMC, but I yeah, can't. Where are I you? want to be objective. Uh, are they in the disappointment category for you in this stretch? Um. Well, let's see. Uh, Francisco Surundalo, of course, uh, when I wrote up uh, against him, against Munar, looked like a f***ing... Uh, giant slayer. He looked like uh, Del Potro from the forehand slide. Sure. Um, with the exception of that match, you know, Francisco Sarundolo, I, I said recently, he toes a line of being um, Carol or b- with being uh, what, what's the term am I trying to say? Lazy and um, what I can't remember what I said. And but measured. And maybe uh, he's he can sometimes look a little lazy on court. And but when he's making, you know, his huge forehands and hitting his spots, you don't really know. You just, it looks effortless. That's the word I'm thinking. Okay. Effortless and lazy. Um, and there's a very fine line with him um, in terms of, is it going to, you know, today he looked lazy. He was not engaged mentally. He was spraying balls all over the court. He was gift. He was not willing to grind, but against Munar, when he, uh, when he was landing all of his forehands and hitting his and uh, you know having the ball on a string with his variety and that drop shot and he looked fantastic um, and effortless in terms of his power. Um, 
the results there, but the results for him, Francisco, I'll get to JMC next. Uh, Francisco had been a little disappointing. Um, He was injured in Cordoba, or he said he was. um, Squeaked by Federico Del Bonis. He should have lost that match. And then he retired against Correa. Um, In Argentina, he beat Munar, like I said. But the round before, he squeaked by Yannick Hantman. Again, another match he should have lost. He really should have lost in the first round of, or or in his first match of both of, both uh, Cordoba and Argentina or, or, and in Buenos Aires. Um, and then he lost to Zapata Morales in the uh, quarterfinals. And then now in Rio, he got, he looked shaky against Carballas Baena, wasn't landing his shots in the first set, but managed to control the baseline with his forehand in the, in the uh, final two sets to get the win. And then looked pathetic today against Zapata Morales, um, second loss in sec in two weeks for him against uh, Bernabe. Uh, so I, I would say disappointment for him. I expected more from him. He was so good in Buenos Aires in the past, uh, making the final there. Was it last year or two years ago where he lost to? I think two, it was Diego. Two, right? Maybe two years ago where he lost to Diego Schwartzman. Another massive disappointment. Uh, another one. What, what's going on? JMC, Hugo Caraballi, uh, Sir Schwartzman, they all are letting me down a little bit. Um, so let's, but do you want me to move on to JMC or you want to comment? Well, yeah, no, I mean, so here's the thing. And you mentioned the results for Francisco Sarundolo, who, uh, to your point, uh, you know, again, has not had the greatest stretch here in South America. Now, uh, you look for Sarundolo this week, uh, wins a first-round match against Carbeas Baena, but knocked out, to your point, three sets by Bernabe Zapata Morales last week. Uh, he gets to the quarterfinals, knocked out by Bernabe Zapata Morales in three. And then in Cordoba, you know, knocked out by Federico Correa, forced to withdraw. Now, three quarterfinals sounds decent, but like, when you're yeah. getting a bite to the round before two the quarterfinals. Yeah, exactly. It's just like I need a little more. I need a yeah. little more from a guy who is firmly ensconced in the top 15. By the way, has semifinal points to defend in Miami coming up. Like this was a big stretch for him to maybe bridge the gap, and he wasn't – yeah, he, he might be in a little bit of trouble. He'll still be top 70, but like yeah. – he might fall out of the top 50 real He probably quick. doesn't deserve his current rank. I mean, he deserves it, but he probably he's not playing like his current At that rank. level. I think that's fair said. For Juan Manuel, where are you? All right. So let's go through his yeah, let's go it. through his stuff. He played in the first round, Pablo Andujar of okay. Cordoba. I saw that match. He was not good. He was serving poorly. Um, he only won in that match. He wanted 6-4-1-0 retirement. Um he only won uh, 55% of his first serves and 50% of his second serves in that match. He was not serving well. He was a little more erratic from the baseline. He then played someone who's not playing in the top 250 in terms of level in Diego Schwartzman, um, and he won 6-1 and one there. I don't take much stock into that because Schwartzman's just been a total disaster, uh, both in terms of his game and mentally, honestly. It's been very disappointing to see in the second set of that match against uh, Sarandolo, he just checked out. And then he lost in three sets to Hugo Delieni. He won the first set. He seemed to have control in the second set. He, no breaks. He was up 4-3 in the second set. And then he just mentally went away. I think he said afterwards, I'm not 100% sure on this, but I think he's, I think he said he was feeling a little tired, fatigued, something. Um, and he might have been injured a little bit against Andujar as well. Um, that's, I think, what, what I might have seen on the interwebs, but I'm not, you know, this is not verified. So I don't want to say it for a fact, but it was a disappointing performance against Delian in Cordova. I expected much more from him. He looked meek. He wasn't really getting much. I mean, there's only so high you can go in the rankings when you're lofting in forehands and relying so much on your variety and your touch shots. Um, so then moving on to Buen- to Buenos Aires, I believe he had to play that the next day after losing to Delian when he was fatigued in Cordoba, and he lost that in three sets to Yannick Hampman. That's what I would call a schedule loss, to be honest. Okay, fair. Um, Hampman's a pretty solid player um, okay. on clay, I think. Uh, and it was the day after travel. Um, 
So then in Rio, he beat Puccinelli de Almeida in the first round of um, qualies. But that's a challenger level guy. And Juan Manuel Serendolo on clay in challengers is a beast. He won both yeah. Tigre challengers already this year. But again, we're hitting that ceiling. He lost two and three to Yari in in uh, qualies. And then he was up. He I believe he served for the first set. He got in as a lucky loser to the main draw. And I believe he served for the first set against uh, Cam Nori. And then he got blitzed from there from that point on um and i think with juan manuel he's always going to be he's always going to have that cordoba 2019 title uh atp tour title but i don't really see his game translating to the atp level there's not enough power his serve is not good enough his service numbers against uh nori he won 61 percent of his first serves and 35 percent of his second serves against yari in the in qualies he won 50 56 percent of his first serves at the atp level just getting the ball in play and starting the point is not good enough and at the atp tour level um and Sure, against the Puccinelli del Meda, it's going to work, you know, because he's just mm-hmm. able to move the ball around so well and just is a more solid player. Um, and Puccinelli del de, Puccinelli del Meda, I just like a tongue tongue twister, <laughs> doesn't have the weapons to sure hit through him um, like a Yari or even a Cam Nori does. Uh, where I was saying that Nori doesn't have the weapons compared to like yeah. an Alcaraz, no, but compared well to said. JMC, he does. Um, I just think that there's a lower ceiling than him again compared to for him compared to Francisco. But at the same time, I think he's better mentally than Francisco. He doesn't check in and out as much as um Francisco. You're seeing me making these wild hand gestures on the screen. Uh as I'm talking, it's just how I talk. Uh, but I'm noticing I'm doing that. Anyways, um, no, what do you- it's delightful. Well, I think he nailed it. I, I really don't have much to add there. I do have some other players I want to ask you about, though, if I may. Of course, of course. Okay, Hugo Delian. Oh, I love Hugo. He's one of my favorites. Okay, so right now, Hugo Delian, 29 years old, currently sitting at number 94 in the rankings. Delian, a win over Alex Mulchen, who hasn't had the greatest clay court swing either, but... You know, again, for the Bolivian, ton of success, you know, 31 and 15 over his last 52 weeks. Every match but two have been on clay courts. I mean, again, you look for Delian in his career in terms of ATP level matches played on hard courts. Delian overall 5 and 13, time. and the majority oh, okay. of them have been at Davis Cups. Um, again, like, Talk to me about Delian. What do I need to know about the 20-year-old? Oh, oh, I love talking about Delian. Okay, so here's the deal with Delian. The genesis of his career was okay. in a green clay court challenger in 2017 okay. against Stepan Kozlov. He was down match point, and he got, I remember it because I was watching it live, an insane get, like insane on match point, and they never looked back. He started just racking up the challengers. I believe he'd be... Facundo Bagnus in either that tournament or the tournament after in the final, he just started rocketing up the rankings on clay. But I, I like to always say that because I don't think his career would be what it is now if he did not save that insane match point against Stefan Kozla. Did you, okay. do you know what I'm talking about? Do you I don't that? recall this, but okay. I have to look it up immediately. What no, event was this? It was uh, one of the green clays, either Tallahassee, Sarasota, or, uh, Okay. Let me look Delian uh Kozlov head to head. Okay. Um give me one second. Yeah, uh, take your sweet time, David. Again. Uh, it was this Sarasota, is why always... 2018. Oh, okay. Um, all right. It's I'm gonna Google it. It was seven six, eight six in the tiebreak. I think Kozlov was up six five in the tiebreak. Or it okay. might have been earlier. Um but but anyways, that was the genesis of his career. I don't think his career would ever be the same if not. The best comparison for those that don't know Delian, I would say, is Daria Kazakina on the WTA tour. Okay. In terms of how she moves the ball around to the court with her forehand so effectively, the heaviness with in which she hits her for or his forehand, and the way his placement, both um, from really both wings, but especially the forehand around the court and the touch that he has, I think it's all spectacular. He's all he loves running around his backhand to hit forehands um he is in he's very fit he has a high tennis iq and 
He also has a brother uh, that is a big forehand too. I Merkel Delian. He actually, I believe, he made the a challenge a clay challenger final earlier this season. Uh, just a fun fact. But um, he's been very good this uh, clay court season. I mean. I would say the Buenos Aires loss to Echeverry in three sets. He kind of went away in the final two sets um, in his first match there, but he had a long week in Cordoba. Uh, he made the uh, semi, so he made the semifinals of Cordoba. He beat Kachin in straights. He beat Pe- Peya in straights, and he beat JMC in the third in three sets, like I mentioned before. Um, so that's a very good week for him. He lost to Sebi Baez. Baez just has a little more power, you know. Dellingen's forehanded. It's heavy, it's well-placed, but it's not necessarily going to, he can't, he doesn't flatten it out in the way that uh, that would take for him to be like a top 50 player. Um, so, or top 20 or seated player in slams or anything. Cause he is. So I guess in that way, he's a little bit like Jay, I'm saying the fact that he doesn't have that. He has a, maybe a little bit lower of a ceiling. Mm-hmm. Um but he's done well in Rio this week. Uh, beat Sousa, destroyed. Uh, while how do you pronounce while Sousa? I'm like totally blanking. Sousa, Jouse, Sousa. Oh, Sosa, yeah, sure. Sosa. How do you pronounce his first name? I'm totally blanking. Jow Sosa, yeah, you got Jouse. it. Okay, he won 0 and 2, and then he was getting smoked against uh, Mulchin, like you mentioned, uh, lost the first set one six and then easily won the last two sets. He's a top customer on clay. He's okay. like I said, to summarize, he's fit. He has a well-placed forehand and backhand, but especially forehand. It's heavy. He has good variety and he, he's not going to overwhelm you with the serve, but he does place it fairly well. Yeah. I mean, again, this is the best part about returning to the clay court season is just the physicality it requires, right, across the That's board. That's why like, I love it. Yeah, uh, other than Yari, I can't think of anyone who's di- – and I guess Alcaraz, who's dominated just purely with a plus one. Like, I think it's been pretty competitive across the board, and – that's what's made this stretch always so fascinating. Again, I appreciate you coming on the show to break down all these names. Wait. Any other standouts one way or the other? Uh, the other. Let's talk a little bit, Diego. Um, do you want all it right. or no? No, 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 no. I'm glad you brought it up. We shouldn't avoid it. You oh, wait, obviously. Wait, yeah, okay. No, the floor is yours. Just go. Well, it, well wait, hold on. Wait, do you have any thoughts? I have many thoughts, but I'll let you go first. I talked a little just now about JMC, sir. And how it's not um, challenged, or it's not ATP tour level. Um, When we look at uh, uh, Schwartzman serve against Sarandolo in Cordoba, he's 0-3 in the Golden Swing. It's been a disaster. Um, He's won 60% of his first serves, 48% of his second serves. Against Zapata Morales, again, he hasn't even won a set. Like, it's been terrible. I'm a huge Diego fan. Against Zapata Morales, he won 40% of his first serves. And 27% of his second serve. We're talking ATP tour here. That is unacceptable. Um, and then against Lajevic, he won 53% of his first serves and uh, 38% of his second serve. If you can't even win 65% of your first serves or in 50% of your second serves on clay, even on clay, you're not going to come close to winning on the ATP tour. Um, it's just been, the serve's been a disaster. He has completely lost his rally tolerance. Forehand looks about as bad as I've ever seen it. Um, his forehand was, you know, his backhand was always the strength, but his forehand is just a mess now. He he almost looks like he has stone hands in terms of his variety, like in his touch shots. Like it, his, it's just not as precise and smooth as it used to be. And he's going to have to make some tough decisions because he's going to be tumbling down the ra- the rankings much sooner than you think, and. Australian Open second round isn't going to save him. That one result, you know, second round isn't going to save him. He's now, that's the only win of his season. He ended 2020, uh, if we don't include Labor Cup, he ended 2022 losing every match since the uh, Tiapa loss at the U.S. Open. Um, so that is one, two, three, four, five, six, it's like, seven. It's like thir- yeah, yeah, yeah. And well, I like guess 13 seven, of going, six, yeah, yeah, or something six crazy. to end the season, and then he lost Auckland to, yeah, to Brooksby. Right? Yeah. He did get injured. He was in that match against Brooksby. He was terrible even before he got injured. Um, so it just crushes me because I've been a fan from him. I think he needs to go back to the Challenger Tour. I don't know if his pride, 
I don't know if he has, he's got to lower his ego a little bit and make that step. I've been a fan of him since he was battling either since he was on the challenger tour the first time in like 2014, I've been a fan of him. So I've seen him on the challenger tour. I never thought I'd see him on the challenger tour again, but these results are completely unacceptable. He's not playing at a top 250 level at this moment. So honestly, I'm, I'm not even confident that he would do well on the challenger tour, but I think he needs to try it. And if, it doesn't fail, then I, he's had a great career and he can hang it up. I mean, look, I don't think he, I'm ready to go to the hang it up extent. You look for Diego Schwartzman right now, 30 years old. I'll say this. The diminishment physically is abundantly evident. And it's not just in his movement. It's the forehand. You're so right. His forehand is just sitting up like a lollipop. The second serve is sitting up just to be attacked, and these guys are too good. Like, there's just because he doesn't have that extra 10% of physicality that he had even two years ago. You know, got this guy who looked like the third best clay court player in the world during that abbreviated 2020 clay court swing, where he was, yeah, it was damn good. Final round. Exactly. We're too. We're not far enough away removed from that to where I can't see Schwartzman, who's clearly just not back yet physically, finding another wind, getting himself. But when is he ever going to? You know, it's it's been so well hung now. Yeah, but yeah, no, I mean you're right. It's a serious. Again, it's that uh, for a guy who was so reliant on his physicality, it's the lack of weapons. It's just like again, he's not. These guys are just. Usually he can grind them down because he can still play some offense and turn his defense into offense by beating you to the spot, but he just can't beat you to the spot anymore. And even if he does, the ball is sitting up to where he really didn't take that much time away. Yeah. When you're 5'7", like I said before with Baez, when you're 5'7", everything's got to be working to perfection. And, you know, I thought that, you know, going back these first two matches were in Argentina. He's had a lot of success in the golden swing in the past. Um you know, I think he's he won Buenos Aires. You know, you think that that would spur him. He seemed very motivated going in, but I just don't. You know, I don't think he has it anymore, and I don't know. And I, I'm a huge fan, so it crushes me to say this. I just don't. I don't. I don't know. I think it would take some challenger success, getting that confidence back, trying to refine that forehand you know, refine that controlled aggression from his backhand wing, um, get those service numbers up a little bit. If he does that, you know, yeah, maybe he re-enters the ATP tour and he does great. But I don't think that just playing these ATP events, and I'm not sure if he's playing Santiago or um, Acapulco next week, uh, but he might be. I don't, I just don't think that that's beneficial right now. He either needs to take some time off, have a long training block and figure it out, or he needs to go to the challenger tour. Very well said. Well, with no, I mean, I would be play. No, I would say training block fine. The thing is, his ranking you can't pass up the sunshine swing. You got to go play it. Whatever he has to do to best prepare himself. Yeah, but how can you pass that up? You just what if he clicks? Like he's still Diego frequent Schwartzman. Like what if it does click at Indian Wells? Now all of a sudden you are going to stay in the top fifty. Top fifty. Yeah, I mean. Is he even on the entry list for the Phoenix Challenger, which is basically an ATP event? Which I will be emceeing. Um, oh, really? I I heard. I, I always love when I randomly turn on a stream and I hear you emceeing, and I'm like, oh, it's Alex. Uh, yeah, that's funny. Yeah, if you listen to Cleveland, you're like, I know that voice. Um, yeah, I have not looked closely enough at the entry list to give you a definitive answer, but wouldn't shock me. Let me look right no, now. No, why would he be? No, he won't be because he's in the Indian Wells main draw. Yeah. No. So no way. But don't can't you like? But like I'm sure Botic man, like Botic is he not in the main draw? Maybe it's such a high cutoff because I he's mean, on. The- it's a really good list right now. You look at the entry list for Phoenix. Botic is. Is Apostol Morales who we talked about? Yeah, I see Lachetka. I see. Gasquet. Baez. Weeping. I do. I see Baez. I see Draper. I do not see Schwartzman. Which again. Not the most shocking thing yeah. in the world. But with all that said, David Gertler, any final thoughts before we wrap today's show? I'm trying to think if we missed anything. Um, I don't think Federico so. Coria played excellent tennis in Cordoba. It's such a shame he got injured. Mm-hmm. He was, you know, I was talking about how Delian um, moved things around, moved the ball around with his forehand, super solid. That was Coria also in Cordoba. He was 
a wall from the baseline. He was, before he got hurt, physically, you know, extremely fit. Forehand was heavy and well-placed. And he was, he used the crowd and motivation to inspire him. And then he played great. Um, so I don't want to, you know, uh, put that under the rug. Um, is there anything else that I want to, you know, well, well, I have a captive audience here. Yeah. Uh, um, no, except for, I would, again, I'd love to see Yari take on um, Alcaraz and see how that goes for Carlos. That would be a big task. Yeah. Very well said. Well then with all of that in mind, you can read David Gertler, Action Network, all about tennis blog. We've got to get him writing for Cracked Rackets once no, again. No, I'm I, sure we will. I know, y'all we have will. so many interns now to do all the writing. Uh, I know. That's exactly I know, I, didn't, I think it's so great because like in college, I would have loved to have been like a crack Rackets intern. Mm-hmm. No, I appreciate you saying that. And, yeah, we'll get you back rocking and rolling here again, David, soon. Of course, a shout-out to you for joining us. A shout-out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, who has a <laughs> of an NA job to do day in, day out, making all of our content possible. Shout-out as well to our friends at Tennis Point. Remember, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. David, as we wrap this mini-break, I say one last time, as for the fantastic David Gertler, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point. From all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. David, what do we tell our listeners? Well, first off, I want to say thank you so much for having <laughs> me. And thank you so much to Daniel and all of y'all. Like, I know I say this every time, but I really do appreciate, understand and know how Well, I don't understand, but I know that this is not just like us talking and then it's like thrown on to the podcast. I I know there's a lot of work that goes in and I want to thank you all so much for, you know, allowing me uh, to talk about this is like this is my jam. So I really do appreciate it so much. Thank you all, all of y'all. And with that, I know what to say. That's the break. And we will see you all tomorrow. You're the best, David. Thank you. Thank you.